Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? This is Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. Um, go to the show's Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. That's one word, patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. Become a member and you get like way more episodes, like 100 unlocked episodes right there. Also, we have with us Ken. Hey, good evening. Um, I, you can find me on Twitter at KD the BG. That's K D T H A. BG. You got like super proper there. You're like, uh, hey, good evening. Like, like where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I've been watching Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock, Hitch, uh, Hitchcock today. So I don't know. It's been one of those days. There's been a bunch of old movies on TV. And I don't know, man. It's been one of those Sundays, man. Okay. Yeah. You got like really proper because the last episode, man, you're all over the place, man. Like, oh, man. I had to get some rest. <laughs> he came 180 degrees different. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have our guest. Please introduce yourself. Hey, what's up? I'm Riley Quinn from the United Kingdom's Trash Future podcast. Uh, I know I don't have a British accent. I've been living there for eight years. I'm working on it. Oh, my God. Madonna got one like in eight weeks. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. it wasn't a good one, but <laughs> exactly. I don't want to debut it till it's ready. I don't. I don't want to like debut my 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 accent startup and get anything less than a billion dollar valuation. <laughs> I got. A, I got a question for you because you're in the UK. Um, yes, boxing is huge in the UK. Yes, it is. Anthony um, Joshua. He just got knocked out. What happened? I don't know. The only thing I know about Anthony Joshua is that he was just <laughs> mentioned to me on a date once, and then I had to pretend to know who he was. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I'm just. I'm. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not following a lot of um a, a lot of sports. Uh, mostly because I'm was way too busy playing FIFA on my PlayStation. <laughs> I just know that Anthony Joshua is like Jordan, Michael Jordan over Wait, there. Wait, oh, so. I remember this. Wasn't he like knocked out by a fat guy? Yeah, the dude was shaped like a bag of charcoal. <laughs> Honestly, no, that's like, that's that's an important step forward in the fat acceptance movement. Is That's just fat excellence. Yeah, yeah. I'm not body shaming him. That's not no, what I'm absolutely. doing. But he he was shaped like a microphone. That, <laughs> that dude that dude looked like, remember there was, a, there was a weird period in the late 90s and like the odds where like fat Mexican comedians was kind of in. Oh, like Carlos Mencia? But, yeah, yeah, who was Gabriel even but it was so yeah, 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 yeah. it was so in that he pretended to be Loki. Like you know Carlos Mencia, you know how his Oh yeah. yeah. I know the, the mind of Mencia and how it famously has a control C function. Oh my god, that thing is like he's like half German, half like Honduran or something. Yeah, he's he not just, even Mexican. He's pretended to be Mexican. Like then Joe Rogan I, like jumped on stage and like cussed him out and yeah, joke yeah. stealing and stuff. I, yeah. And I think he had problems with other people. Like, but yeah, George Lopez was riding that wave. He had a he had a show that yeah. lasted like a couple of years. Oh, he's still going on tour right now with like Eddie Griffin and um yeah, Gabriel Eddie Griffin and, and uh, like, like, Dale Hewley. Yeah. There was a lot of them, and a guy looked like that won the boxing ring. Like that was amazing. Like a mechanic. <laughs> like, yeah, he looked he like, like he does thirty oil changes a day. <laughs> he's a, he's someone who's um looks like his entire workout regimen is talking about how he used to play football. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But hey, or how he used to be a boxer. <laughs> he he took he took it though. He, yeah, he did yeah, a, yeah. he did a fine job. Now uh, tell us what Trash Future uh, Podcast is about. I think it's a great concept i like it oh yeah uh so uh and you can follow us on any podcast app uh we too have a patreon as well so you can do that but we are a we're i think we are a buyer's guide to our boring dystopia 
so we like to talk about in addition to like a lot of british politics stuff just because we're based in britain i'm I'm here for a wedding and also to continue recording podcasts yeah yeah this dude is like a marathon podcaster <laughs> I, I was impressed were you third one in a day right like the third one in a day i'm getting him i'm going back to london um tomorrow or maybe technically today i guess because it's after midnight but yeah i'm i'm just well because i've spent so long at like this wedding and then uh seeing my dad in canada that i was just like I, i'm just gonna i'm gonna just pack them all in um but trash future is kind of about just the ways in which the future is kind of not what we wanted so you 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 find like you end up um having to read a Steven Pinker book and, you know, you end up also spending, like just today, just because I'm Beep Beep Lettuce, and we talked at, gr- at great length about a a headphone that you don't buy, you just subscribe to, and if you stop paying the rent on the headphones, then they deactivate the headphones. <laughs> now, now, this is a real product? Yes, it's called oh. the Neurophone. That's Dude, crazy. You know what's crazy about that, right? I um, had a moment similar to that right before you came. So I'm setting up because Riley's coming over. I'm setting up and I haven't used Adobe Audition in a while and I just forgot that I pay for some kind of creative cloud so I just like subscribe to it so I'm just absentmindedly just opening Audition in the background and I just keep having trouble opening it and then this box keeps coming up I keep Xing out the box then finally I let the box come up and then it says yeah you had some kind of billing issue please resolve it and I was like oh this is weird and, and then uh, I'm like, I haven't used it in a while, but there's no reason why. And then like it turned out like the card expired. I forgot to put a new card. Uh, so the card expired. So I had to give the new card number. I put the new card number in there. And meanwhile, the, what was all going on, I'm trying to get back into Adobe Audition. It, but I'm working with the second window. And at some point, it says, we see you resolve payment issue, like proceed. And I'm like, like my software is my landlord now. Like it's, it's like, you know, it's coming up on me when I'm a day late. It's, it's <laughs> like, it's really creepy. Like my software used to be just something that just sat in my computer for me to just pull up. Like now it's one more responsibility or one thing to nag me when I'm late. Like it was, I felt like I was ducking my landlord or yeah. trying, trying to get back in my building. That's how I felt with that software right there. It was, and so it's weird now that now, like you own nothing. You subscribe to everything and yeah. you own nothing. And now even your headphones yeah you it's, subscribe to because it, it's easy to do that with digital shit right where it's like okay you don't own your games you just subscribe to steam and then you know you have your everything's you on your cloud. games you rent you don't, you don't you don't own individual movies you just have a netflix you don't have songs you have spotify but what that means basically is that there's no possible way for you to ever insulate yourself against ever having a downward shock in income because you can't just be secure that your headphones your music or your well your house forever but now even your headphones music and like um uh, uh, movie collections not even yours it's now just it's now just another expense oh, so damn. you know great we, we love to live like this but hey you know what that's kind of heavy it's, it's only the first seven minutes sorry like, wow. the netflix model may suck but at least we get those adam sandler comedies you know the ones that he's contracted <laughs> to make to a year like the ridiculous six who didn't love the ridiculous six he, here's something i think about right the minimalist movement has become like this kind of new wokish thing to do and it's kind of being praised as like anti-capitalist but it's not really because no, you can have some super expensive minimalist furniture fuck yeah you can it just means that you don't like as much stuff as someone else That's yeah all exactly people kind of <laughs> pretend to doing it out of some kind of um anti-capitalist anti-material i say more anti-materialistic yeah. because i feel like they don't they're not savvy enough to grasp the nuances of like capitalism it's more they just think of being fancy you know yeah and then i feel like that has a weird connection or weird parallel i don't know why 
what's feeding what, but the whole minimalist movement on this kind of fake woke side combined with the model you're describing, yeah. it's easy to become a minimalist when you have clouds. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. You can be a music hoarder and and also keep a perfectly white wall in your flat. Yeah, right. nobody had, will have any physical evidence that you're a musical hoarder. Like your whole digital life could be like a mess. You have 30 gigs of music. You don't own any records. You don't own any CDs. You don't own any, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's this girl I know, right? And I ran into her in a cafe, talked to her for a second. And she's somebody who's always like very clean, very pristine. And when I say clean, I don't mean like washing herself clean. I mean clean as in like her, there's never a hair out of place. There's, even when she looks messy, it looks like a cultivated look and whatever. And then she opened her computer and then her desktop was just filled with 5,000 icons. Yeah. And I was like, picture <laughs> this bitch is a mess. Like none of this is real. Like that icon says, that, that says everything. Like um, that, that's green i'm like she's got demons like when i saw that thing but she had someone put all that stuff the skeletons are in the cloud yeah 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 like just a desktop i was like wow you know this woman like 15 years ago she would have just been a visible mess and she's managed to just put everything on a oh that's the that's a chick if this is the 90s she'd have like thirty thousand cds she'd be doing those remember those publishing uh what was the name of those uh um, clearing house yeah, it was where you can order all those CDs and people never paid for them. Oh, yeah. You like order yeah, all these. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like a it, mail order. It was on BMG and Columbia House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, Columbia House. They're still House. advertising those. They're still advertising oh my God. them. I mean, like, I, I, I have, look, I, I haven't watched American TV in a long time. The last time I was here was two years ago. Yeah. But I was seeing. I was seeing a an, an ad for a CD compilation while I was recovering from jet lag. Oh, wow. You're talking about the CD compilations. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. No, oh, yeah, it's different this from is Columbia this House. Is, this is something different. Uh, this is like a music club where there were two of them. One was buy four, buy one, get four free. Or mm -hmm. then there's another one where like buy 12. And it was, I don't know what this business model was. Like, it's a beautiful thing that you don't know what this is fully because that means you didn't grow up in as cursed a time where these things were a thing. It's... It was this kind of scam where nobody knew who was scamming who. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And there was a weird math you had to work out, and everybody was obsessed with gaming this thing. Like, so, so what was the deal? Like, buy one album, and you get 14 free. Oh, yeah. And this is this weird fucked up math they try to do, fuck you in the back end. But you're like, you know what, bitch, I'm smarter than you. You're not going to get me. And people do all types of tricks. Mine was, I was two toboggans. I don't know if this ever come back to haunt me. Like someone come, I guess I think in the, in the mail about, um, about this two toboggans thing from 20 years ago. We heard that you <laughs> admitted to it recently. No, but I don't know. But I was two toboggans and... No, actually, my friend was Tutu Boggins. It, that was a good one. No, I wasn't Tutu Boggins. I was something else. But I had a fake name. Got the got the Columbia House stuff. But then they had this thing where if you sign up one friend, you can get like eight more CDs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then yeah, I just yeah. became like an evangelist of Columbia House. I got like <laughs> nobody everybody ever paid for that I stuff. knew <laughs> to buy. And I just said, all you have to do is run the same hustle on everybody else. But what I didn't realize is like network marketing. You get to a place where there's just no one to pick over anymore. You were, a, you were part of a pyramid scheme. Yeah, it was like a giant pyramid scheme you were part of a, a well i mean that's that i i'm not quite understanding how it's a pyramid scheme yet but i see the pyramid scheme structure very clearly yeah it's, like it's, where's what, the money coming from what i always wondered is uh you order you get all those cds like but they're how do the artists get paid for them 
Yeah. But well, do the artists get paid? I mean, uh, you yeah, have these, I think um, it still you know, counts. I think it's still... You have this Stevie Nicks CD and you got like, you know, you can order nine of them if you wanted to. So does he get a dollar from that at least? And then Stevie Nicks sends you a picture of her feet. It's a great deal. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that thing had to be mob affiliated. Like it had the convoluted scamminess that always reeks of a mob of that a only, mob thing. Only the Italian brain pan could cook up. <laughs> See, I can't touch that one. I gotta stay. <laughs> you know, you know something? I feel like uh, Italians have, have officially become like the most good sense of humor white people on earth. Because at some point, it's just become like, you know what? I'm stealing that from somebody, so I should stop. I think Kat Barbadora said that. Yeah. But, but somebody said that like they are the most good sense of humor about themselves white people that just became something I don't know when it started is it, is it because they just kept getting made fun of <laughs> you know what it was I can tell yeah. you when it started yeah. Sopranos you think that's what it was yeah because, because Sopranos Sopran- was the last gasp of that uh, stop it it's, it's the yeah. Soprano is the Sopranos was like in my opinion was the funniest show ever made yeah because it it's, funny. it's comic relief was just so perfect and I think the modern stereotype of everyone making fun of Italians <laughs> all the time comes from two things which is the constant malapropisms by all the characters as they try to be smart but just keep tripping over their own dicks oh you're right and two mm-hmm. the entire story arc where Chrissy and Silvio get lost in the woods chasing that Russian guy the Chechen guy and though the Russian guy who killed all the Chechens and just again keep ineptly fucking up where it's like the Abbott and Costello of the mafia but in a way okay does that mean like will history eventually judge the anti-sopranos Italians right because I feel like what you're describing sounds like and I say this as a Sopranos person you're described as, as a Sopranos fan you're just Description kind of scares me because now it sounds almost like Italian Amos and Andy. Like, like we're like you know, 30, 40 years from now, people were like, "Can you believe this was okay?" Because like Amos and Andy used to be considered like just okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and and people now are wearing pizza face. What's a uh, what's pizza face? I heard it's, it's like uh, it's it's like it's it's like they're 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 making fun of Italians without being Italian. Oh, damn it. I fucked, up, I fucked up the joke, man. We're not getting it. Pizza face is not just a flagrant <laughs> insult. It hurts Italians. Dude, that would be crazy. So, so what you're saying right there is pizza face as the Italian version of blackface. Dude, that would just be so wrong. It would just seem... Like, Ken, what do you think? Like, I mean, is, is that kind of like uh, how on Cinco de Mayo, like white people walk around with those Mexican, supposedly Mexican mustaches but, and but, a sombrero? No, no, that's the same concept. But I'm saying, what do you think about the actual name for it being like pizza face? Like, Oh, the name pizza? Pizza face? Oh, yeah. it's definitely fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. not get it twisted here. They're, they're, like, they're POCs, people of <laughs> I mean, cannoli. What, what's, what's the worst? What, what, what's, see, uh, see, what's, what's, that's weird. Like, why is that okay? Like, like you say, and damn, it's just weird. Like, it's just weird how it's okay to be in front of Italians. I just don't know when it started, but you're right. It had to be the Sopranos. Yeah, it was. The, I mean, I mean, okay, let, maybe it was two things. Maybe it was like the Italian, like I think mm, as the, the as Simpsons warmed it up to a degree with that guy, with that um, Fat Tony, <laughs> Fat Tony, uh, yeah, Fat Tony, but also the guy who runs the the Italian restaurant. Yeah, uh, Mario. Yeah. He's like, uh, Krusty, Krusty, come away from the rest of the scum. And it's like, I'm right. only calling you a scum compared to Krusty. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and I think that probably warmed it up. Sopranos, oh, yeah. like, blew the door wide open. Oh, yeah. Sopranos, absolutely. Sopranos, the, the, the horse had bolted from the barn. Like, at this point, like, everyone was, like, gung-ho on, on, doing, on doing anti-Italian jokes. So, so, wait, on some level, is it possible? I never thought this, because at the time, it was cool to be always free speech, and anyone who messes with free speech 
preach is a hater. Like, you mm. know, I feel like everyone used to believe that until the alt-right. Then everyone was like, oh, wait, maybe some things need to be calmed down on. But I remember... I yeah, used because to- I think Richard Pryor did the the uh, the Italian mafia joke. That was back in the late 70s. But I feel like even that is that. not the same extent. Oh, no, 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 no. Now. It's not the same. Yeah, no. yeah now it's just blowing open. Uh, but I feel like a lot of that comes from... Damn, I forgot what I was saying. The Damn it. What was I saying before you... Um, where where the where it comes from uh, the how the, the the Italian stuff was completely blown up and by the Sopranos and the Simpsons. Oh yeah yeah yeah, but how I don't know that's just crazy. To me. Yeah, well, I mean also I mean my I always sort of my put a pet theory on this. I sort of um I, I throw this open to the floor was that like I think when when I think what what happened was when America became sort of even more white supremacist than before. Yeah. Like and Italians went from recent Im- recent immigrants to be treated with suspicion to uh you know just this to all just one group of like just white people who are against, you know, all others. That I think it almost became like there's no sense that you're making that that you're making fun of Italians is contributing to any kind of Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no there's nothing's going to happen. I'm yeah. Like, like I, I remember I remember yeah. what I was going to ask. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, you know, I was so into like free speech and everything and this yes, idea yes, yes, like, yes. you know, oh, no one should censor anything or whatever. And then when that happened with the people of Italian descent, you know, really hating us Sopranos, like, you're making us <laughs> look bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, they're making us look bad. You got to stop it. And then they wrote that into the show where they just had them appear <laughs> as humorless skulls. Like, you know, right. so they started going even meta in the show. We're like, we're not going to make fun of Italians. We're going to make fun of you guys as some uptight stick in the mud. Like, you know. Uh, I never realized that. But yes, it's absolutely yeah, yeah, right. That's totally what he did. He said he trolled them double by, he's like, I'm going to, in this episode, I'm making them look as goony as possible. In that same episode, I'm going to have you in there. I'm going to make you look like a buffoon. So I'm making fun of both. Not only am I doubling down on the Italian insults, I'm actually made you a character. Now you're like some corny Uncle Tom character that has now appeared in Amos and Andy. Like, I've I've done that to you. So now I'm wondering, like, is it possible that maybe the anti-soprano guys were right? Maybe the anti-soprano Italian guys, the future they were trying to fight has ended up coming to pass. <laughs> you know, like... Could be. You what could if we be onto we... something there, T. What's that? I said, you could be onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> they were right all along. We laughed at them. Yeah, what What if we have become the monsters? <laughs> <laughs> are we the baddies? You know, Yeah, that... the Mitchell and Webb thing. Are, <laughs> yeah. are we the bad guys? Oh, see, um, that's a good turn it right back to, to something British. We, uh, hell yeah. We planned that. That was totally planned. Absolutely. Uh, a, a, per- a perfect transition. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I feel like we still haven't discussed what your podcast is about. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. I forgot. <laughs> Yo, I, I sometimes I'm forgetting shit. Yeah. Um, sorry, it's my Italian it's, 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 ancestry. This is the wrong place for that because we are <laughs> very bad structure. Yeah, just, I, I had I had myself, uh, I had a pasta moment. No, uh, <laughs> so yeah, Trash Future makes fun of our boring dystopia that we live in, makes a lot of Italian jokes, I realized, and also talks a lot about British politics. We, we just make fun of shit. Uh, we mostly sit in a basement. One of us has a gold microphone and because uh, that was the last the last one of its type that was available. Uh, so we are um, setting our Patreon goals to be when it hits uh, 10,000. And I will, every time I pod- we podcast, take a picture of myself podcasting 
about socialism into this gold microphone while wearing a matching mink coat and hat and dripping in rings. <laughs> just tweeted at every right-wing journalist being like, time to talk about socialism again. So, you know, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you're helping that happen. As well as we recently cooked up this hard news project, which I think you might find fun. Okay, so, you know, unlike the States, England, ha- well, the UK has the BBC, right? State-owned broadcaster must be neutral and must report news if it's of a significant nature. Like, they have a legal requirement to do that, laid down in statute. So, what is very fun is that we, as I was having a conversation with my co-host from Trash Future, Milo, not about what would you do with a billion dollars, but what would be the funniest thing to do with a billion dollars, which is to hire the world's greatest team of investigative reporters, editors, opinion writers, everything. Make the single greatest news site, like for local breaking investigative hard-hitting news, the kind that doesn't pay anymore and have no ad funding, just run it at a loss. Wow. But call it gettingyourdicksucked.com. <laughs> So the BBC would be forced to report stories broken by gettingyourdicksucked.com. And then this ancient and august institution of the British state must have a weekly meeting on how to cite gettingyourdicksucked.com. So, wow. But we're actually doing it with the Patreon money now. And you're really going to do this? <laughs> yes. We already, we've already spent a lot of money getting the site built. So we're going to have a, we're going to put in a Patreon goal soon, which is we will endow the gettingyourdicksucked.com annual prize for investigative journalism. And then um, people will submit investigative journalism articles. We will pay out the prize. Already there are friends of ours who are in in the joke who are already writing opinion pieces and stuff. So if you have a pitch, pitch the article to at G-Y-D-S-D-O-T-C-O-M on Twitter. The DMs are open. We'll take all comers. And the idea is to actually turn this into enough of a left opinion, left opinion writing and investigative journalism site that at some point we will break a story that has to be covered by the BBC. Mm. And then we will have snookered the BBC into saying gettingyourdicksuck.com on their website. And in my opinion, that is a kind of comedy that takes a lot more effort than just saying my gender is an attack helicopter. That's a that's a pretty ambitious pitch. <laughs> that's I'm thinking about it. So what you would be doing is but all of the articles would be sincerely done like just yes yes the only journalism. the only joke is the url interesting and then Sheesh. and then it says in the about us section it says this is not a news website this is an elaborate dick joke being played in the bbc disguised as a news website <laughs> however it's such a good disguise that it reports actual news <laughs> you know that's a really good way to kind of weaponize a lot of what's happening and kind of just find a good use for it yeah yeah like to me that sounds like you're you've kind of viewed this dystopia you've decided that this dystopia is fucked and to me it sounds like you've gone accelerationism where it's like we understand it so well we're going to weaponize it yeah we're heightening the contradictions also the other we also have to remember that at base this is still a dick joke like at, at the end of the day, it's yeah. because this is because it's going to be very funny to make the BBC executives even just have to waste time talking about this. But equally, it is also like the joke is sort of about the fact that holding companies won't supply local news and the BBC is robotically required to report certain things regardless. You know, it'd be great. And this is what I dream of this stuff um, becoming is. If you guys just had somebody who's just like an assistant to the head person, the BBC, or someone who's just like uh, a middle management exec in the BBC, just be a closet trash future fan and just leak dumb shit to you. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Um, If you're... If you're anyone, message us. 
if you're if you can if you can be an asset if you already listen to trash future hi i'm, I'm glad to see you here from new york uh, if you're a, can be an asset somewhere yeah message us i think this should happen more man i'm surprised or maybe it does happen a lot but i feel like that should be like a thing like uh people just tell you like because that's what it happened to me like with small things like you know we talk about somebody and someone be like hey well i have you know i know her in person she was a bitch since high school and i was like whoa i didn't want to know all that that's that, like a- that happened to us once actually where um ash sarkar who came on the show uh it was like a british oh, oh you guys like, said ash sarkar yeah yeah I, pretty no, good get ash comes on wow um nice. she uh dude, dude tell her to do champagne shark <laughs> put <in> yeah <laughs> i'll put her in touch okay cool great. um so yeah we um we were talking to her and we have like we like just like I think at most podcasts, we have like recurring characters that we talk about. Yeah, one of whom is a self-styled um, urban financial sector monk named Jay Shetty, who talks about like loving yourself, meditating, and then like delivering for the client. Yeah, um, and he's a complete you know shithead, and I think he's kind of a grifter because he'll sell like become a genius program, but like oh by gosh. email or whatever, and it's like here's how I found my genius and all this kind of thing. But then um, Ash talked about how he, she knew his sister from the like North London high school they went to together, and that they they, they did like a little um a, a little sort of like chant like like whenever she came by, which I don't remember what it was. Okay. Um, but listen to the episode we t- t- did with Ash Sarkar about grime. And, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, and that is where we talked about that. I'm just digesting something about that. Like, <laughs> what is a scene like out there? Because that kind of makes me, yeah, I want to ask the next question. Because this is weird flattening of everything, right? Yeah. Where it's like, Elon Omar just did a picture with, tra- with Chapo Trap House. Yeah. And it's just, it's weird to kind of see this happening, you know? And I'm wondering, what is a scene like in, in England as far as in parallel to what's happening uh, yeah. here. Well, first of all, first I'm assuming everybody knows what's happening here, but there is a sense to which there's a synergy, you know? I, th- I think it's safe to say that. There's a type of synergy, and I feel like places like Brooklyn are kind of like a central point of it, but I'm not sure how it happens, but I feel like it's going to be everywhere. And yeah. right now, what is that like in England? I'd say it's actually like, like I I, I like to make fun of the UK, um, but right now I'd say it's going pretty well. Um, and much in the same, much the same kind of synergies are happening and they've been happening a while. The difference is I think here they're happening organically, whereas in the UK, it's quite like deliberate. It's like, for example, uh, there are, there's a yearly event called the World Transformed, which yeah. is... Uh, put on in parallel to the labor conference, uh, but by Momentum, which is the sort of like our version of what you might call Justice Democrats or like the Fight for 15 or all of these different campaigns sort of melded together. It was created after Jeremy Corbyn took the um, labor leadership position to like solidify and make sure that like there was a coordinated way to keep the left of the party together. So Momentum puts on a festival parallel to the Labor Party uh, conference called the World Transformed, which is this huge thing where tons of people get together on panels and it will be politicians it's like Corbyn always goes to at McDonald so like MPs um, media figures and so on will all kind of get together and then all the people who support them are out in the crowd and there are lots and lots of socials that force people to get introduced to one another and so we've kind of cre- and then individually in different cities throughout the UK they'll also put on their local version of the world transformed so like like Bristol transformed or Birmingham transformed the we did Bristol transformed or doing Birmingham transformed or like Hackney transformed or whatever and and then the idea is to have like one day versions of those events that happen all throughout the year where everyone is just sort of thrown into the same room and then sort of ends up working together and doing new things together. That's a lot to digest. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, Ken, um, give me your thoughts on that because you've been quiet this episode. So uh, I'm sure you're not zoning out and doing something. No, 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 no. I, I honestly, you want the truth? Yeah. I don't even know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> Wait. So yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. I have no idea about the world transformed. I don't know anything about any of that. Wait. So the world, tra- the world transformed, right? Yeah. That totally went over my head. Sorry, sorry. Okay. So it's a conference. Okay. Now, okay. Okay. What happens at this conference? Uh, it tends to be speeches and panels given by combinations of politicians, uh, media figures, campaigners, and so on. And it will be like a festival, like, like last like four days. And this hasn't happened yet? This is- no, it happens every year. And so that's why the scene is very good because the, all these people are forced to get together, not just yearly, but then locally in different cities uh, throughout the year. Yeah. And so supporters all come and you go to different panel discussions or speeches or events or whatever. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. And so all of these ideas are then discussed and debated by these people on panels. But then the people who are watching all participate. They like ask questions and stuff and can answer back. And then there's used to be there are usually social events that force everyone to then hang out. It sounded so good my brain couldn't digest it. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> yeah, it was, that's that's what I'm because that would never happen here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, never yeah, happened. Yeah, so here. that's why when he started talking about it, and I'm like, at some point did he switch to talking about a fantasy thing? <laughs> and then that's where I got like really lost because I'm that, like that that idea is wouldn't they well, put it this can't way even fathom it. That's, that's what they lie and say they would do here when they have these little fake town hall meetings and all that they don't they would never do that here because it'll be too much accountability but that also is about how the political structure of the parties in the UK is different so like yeah. uh, the world transformed which is put on parallel to labor conference right by momentum it's specifically the left of the party that's doing that it's like the right of the party because they're all in de- elected by constituency. So the, the party is much more like diverse politically than like the Democratic Party, which has the establishment, which is all the same. And then like a couple of challenger slivers, you know, the, the labor is labor parties genuinely really, really split and very, very diverse and politically, which can be kind of a problem because there are lots of like quite right wing people in the labor party. So it's the left that's coming in and doing these like actually quite intense, like town halls and debates and stuff. You'll never access someone like, you know, Jess Phillips or Chris Leslie like this, who are like right wing labor MPs. Wow. That's wow. That's crazy. So it seems like it's something that's not just theater. Like you can actually go there and hear some interesting ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everything in America is like theater. And I feel like right now Trump versus the four progressive women has become theater like it's a theater grounded in something that's really it's tapping into something real but it has to be processed as theater it's become a, a giant saturday night, saturday night live skit it's, it's weird yeah, the whole the, the the whole thing has been the whole last four three years and plus all the extras on top of it has pretty much been i always look at it like you know fucking benny hill you know what i mean like it's not even saturday night live man it's benny hill yep. like it's just a big ass joke <laughs> it's just a big dry joke Especially here, like the way I sort of see it is you could say that at some point the the showrunners decided that a new like the Hillary type of hero just wasn't playing with the audience anymore. Yeah. And so it's yeah. almost like it's almost like a reverse version of the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Where it's like, yeah, we'll we'll trot out some new people and it'll be like um, 
they're gonna win they're gonna win like rhetorically but they still don't have any power right yeah it's like it's, it reminds me of showtime at the apollo it's like for every <laughs> you know we have these four different people this one person comes out and we hear what they say and you know we might feel them but then there's always gonna be that one person where you know sandman's gonna come and shuffle his ass off the stage <laughs> you know I mean? so we know we're not fucking with that person and then the next person but then at the end of the day those people are never gonna be <laughs> famous on tv or anything no it's just they're just there for the minute and then at the end of the day you know everything they say was good in and, theory and your applause never. doesn't and, and your applause like it may feel good to contribute but just yeah. like just like with politics like everyone retweeting Elon Omar feeling like they're doing something like the problem is like w- when you when your whole universe is just of the possible is just to make sure that the right heroes are in the right position yeah. you yep. know you're nothing's yep. ever going to happen for you well, right well, and, it, and it only exists on Twitter after that yeah. once you get it back into real life none of that shit th- those ideas those theories none of that's going to play in real life i'm i'm laughing because i feel like no matter what now we're coming back to this topic it's gonna become our shtick if we don't stop it but it's true like um it's true it's man. true we keep talking about how there's this kind of weird retreat into fantasy and it's yeah. really hard to escape it and each time you think you escape it you just retreat into like a new different like fantasy a and new I think it's that, a new black hole yeah and i feel like that's kind of like for example i feel like even like um with socialism and the way it's going there's a sense where i'm like the idea that at some point it becomes a scene and no one realized it became a scene until it's uh too late and i feel like yeah and i feel like a scene is like another uh retreat into fantasy you know what i'm saying and i just feel like there's like we're in this cultural time where it's like people are just like, everyone just arguing over whose fantasy is going to be the most agreed upon fantasy and i just feel like that's the, all <laughs> politics is now who's who's whose fantasy is going to get the most retweets yeah, yeah. exactly i don't know i don't know how often you listen to the show but uh, i don't know i don't know if i'm the one that started it but i blame everything on the internet yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> i blame yeah, every i blame everything on social media and i blame everything mainly social media because it's like you know they have these it's these weird dreamlike ideas and, and it you know it, it goes in spells like 2015 2016 it was one thing 2017 2018 it's another thing and now that trump's in office now it's another group of people that's getting a lot of a lot of retweets and shine and it's like okay so in 2020 2021 then who will it be uh, in 2021 actually social media will be gone because society will have collapsed we'll have mostly <laughs> smoke signals and the occasional carrier pigeon and, and, right and, you know maybe to a degree that's why game of thrones is so popular because people want to be mentally primed for when we go savage again you know they want to be like okay what will i have to be will i have to betray people what is it like like they're ready to reenact the real game of thrones they're, yeah oh, i years. mean you, it, it reminds me of the wire like every season of the wire it seemed like there was a, a an important person that you'd be like oh no there's no way that person could die and then they die you'd be like wait a minute he's not supposed to die yet you know what i mean like that stringer bell he's how is he it's not the end of the show why is he dead already you know what i mean so it's like that's how that's what is going on it's like this thing is gonna you know something gets going you think okay yeah this is the one and then when that dies out like there was the whole you know the whole black men are trash movement that was huge well black lives matter was a huge one that lasted about two years on Twitter. Yeah, and I remember, and weird. I remember like, vividly. Like, like, the rage just sits down with Katy Perry now. Yeah, you know I, I mean? remember vividly telling T and D and Big Mike, I was like, dude, these motherfuckers, they're just, they're gonna all get jobs and then it's gonna be over with. Mm. And lo and be fucking hold, man, that's exactly what happened. They got jobs. I said the same thing about, um, I, what, what was it I said, T, in the, um, in the uh, chat? I said, um, something about, uh, Obama. I was like, when Obama leaves, a lot of these motherfuckers are gonna disappear. Like yeah, yeah, they're gonna get jobs. They're all gonna disappear, and, and it's gonna be something new. And lo and yeah, you ever talk about how all these like black pundits were the rage and the under the era of Obama?
Obama. Mm -hmm. And then once Trump won, it was like everybody scrambled. And suddenly yeah. we have to get, uh, what's the lady from Fox, Megan? Uh, Megan McCain? No, no. Megan McCain? No, no, no. The, is that her name? Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly. Oh, like Megan Kelly, like, yeah. Today's show is like, hey, we need Megan Kelly. Like, she's suddenly yep. important. It's like, uh, there was that Randy G dub tweet that everyone made, that everyone uh, was saying where it's like, the lesson that the Democrats are going to get from this election is uh, we got to get more racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, yo, Tony Blair's report essentially yeah. released, Tony Blair's Institute rather, yeah. essentially released a report about how progressives can like take control in British politics again. That is just that tweet. <laughs> but wow. he, one of the main things. A lot of people yeah. have basically given variations to that tweet. Like, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Well, it's, it's what I always say is like, is um, Tony Blair said, the main takeaway from the report was um, we need to be sensitive to cultural difference and the anxieties of host communities that are receiving large amounts of newcomers. Oh my god. And, and it was and, like and it's, and it's virus language, a host community. Yeah, like, it was like, holy shit, Tony, all your entire report is just saying like, I don't know if you guys know who Tommy Robinson is. He's a white nationalist guy. Yeah, right? he's a yeah. British. Brit yeah, 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 he's yeah. the main British white nationalist. His whole report might as well have said, you know, uh, Tommy Robinson was right. But again, no one, everyone seems to look at it and just be like, yeah, yep, yeah, that 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 makes sense. Well, Tommy Robinson has a strong political movement, so therefore he must have a point, as though that's how anything works. Yeah, it's all about, like, you know, at least he's willing to do some real talk and stuff, you know, and there's that idea, but it's kind of weird. Like there's this, I feel like there's a growing sense of that, like happening everywhere now where people are just like, like, like English, like let's talk about British stuff. I feel like English stuff. I will always talk about British stuff. I'm constantly fascinated by it. Oh my God. And I've been living there every, like the better part of a decade. As in, like a long-time Anglophile, I'm going to give you all my made-up myths about England based on not being there, and you can dispel what's untrue and what's true. All right, let's go. Okay, the sense that I've gotten from watching a lot of British TV and following stuff, the sense that I've gotten recently is, at some point, I don't know if it's they're playing this game at a different level and they just have more money, or I don't know if it's if it's that I know this this e. This E1 network or something? Is that what it's called? Is there a network called E something? Um, ETV? ITV? ITV. But basically, there's private there's private channels. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's private networks. So there's there's how it works is there's the public TV, which you get if you pay the fee. And it's the BBC, Which doesn't right? really have much advertising on it at all. Yeah. That's like the BBC. And then there's Freeview, which you don't have to buy, get because you have to get a TV license to get the BBC. So that's yeah. the fee you pay. Uh, and then there's Freeview, which is like advertiser funded and privately owned basically, yeah. whereas BBC is state-controlled. And then, like, once those private networks came, like, Britain had this thing where we're, like, we're have an unassailable level of taste. Yeah. You know, I mean, even our trash is, like, golden. Like, we just shit golden eggs. And, you know, we're so Are you much basically thinking about faulty towers right oh. now? Oh, a lot of stuff. Like even because like even Benny Hill, even though it was like body, yeah, it was kind of body in such a like clever punny way. You know, you know what I mean. So even though it was lowbrow, there was actually like a lot of uh, sharp puns to it and stuff, right? And I feel like there's always like, this idea among like uh, American intellectuals, like oh, British TV, British people have such elevated taste. And then once <coughs> that stranglehold of subsidized TV was broken, yep, and it was free for like the private network, like like the profit motive, like. Britain, British TV just got so oh, trash. Hell yeah. But we oh did also God. get Peep Show. 
Yeah. So oh, who okay. can say yeah, if I was just about bad. to say, yeah, like Peep Show. Like I remember when I was a kid, like my grandmother, we would get in trouble for watching Benny Hill because he was like a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like in a fucking supermarket and have like a some shoes on and a mirror on his shoes or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna look under a lady's dress or some shit. Like that's what I remember about Benny Hill. Like <laughs> so you gotta sneak and watch it. Oh, oh, you talking about? Oh yeah, we used to get in trouble for watching Benny Hill too. And oh yeah. Like, but it's funny. There was a lot of sexual titillation in Benny Hill, and we used to want to watch it. But looking back, it was very clever. Like, you know, yeah. When you said those like those body talking sessions and the puns, and I was like, oh wow, there's actually more to this than just like tits and ass. There's actually like it's tits, ass, brains. The brains, the largest erogenous zone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like now Britain will have a show that's meant to be highbrow, but it's, but it's actually dumb. Oh yeah, like Downton Abbey, dumb as shit. Yeah, it's just dumb as shit. But, but also, it's oh wait, dressed so highbrow. Do you know? Yeah. Our other main kind of television, which is reality TV. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. That's like, what I was gonna br- say. The British approach to reality TV is super unique, and, and and that's what I was gonna say next. Like, I feel like once that was the first stage that happened was that the private networks just blew the door open on what British people will actually watch. See, I'll tell you this, right? Um, of a sort of um, a, a, I guess you could say an uncle of my friend was this guy, um, Sir Peter Basiljet. And, That's uh, like such an awesome powers fucking name. Yeah. That's his real name. <laughs> yeah. Peter Basiljet. Yep. Peter <laughs> Basiljet. And so his, his grandfather, I think he was called uh, Arthur Basiljet. I'm pretty yeah. sure. There, there was this saying, because after um, Peter was knighted, because uh, technically dude. it was because he was on the board of the... If your name is like Basiljet, like you have to get pussy. Like... <laughs> The pressure. I, I think gonna say a lot either, of pressure. Either he doesn't he or, is married. I was gonna say. Okay, I was gonna say that dude gets no respect or pussy. With that man. <laughs> no, I think the opposite. I think he's gotta get a well, ton. No, I'll tell you about <laughs> this guy. You will never see an insult called like Basiljet. Like that's not gonna happen. I don't think. <laughs> so I'll tell you about this guy. So basically, his great his great grandfather was knighted for building the um like architecting the sewer system yeah. that like carried uh, London's first sewer system. And then Peter Basiljet made all his money working for Endemol, which is like a production company I that worked with over these. That name. I know, right? Yo, sorry, welcome go, to Britain. I'm sorry, go on, go on. But so he worked for the, he initially brought Big Brother to Britain. So he worked for the TV network that brought Big Brother to Britain. And then he was knighted later for his contributions to the English National Opera because I think he felt bad. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> but, but yeah, that brings the second phase because I feel like once private TV blew the, the floor, you know, and showed just how low it'll go, I feel like BBC had to compete. It was like, yeah. okay, you know what? And, you know, it's like, it's like that, there's that model uh, Kate Upton mm. the main fashion houses and all this stuff like they hated her they thought her look was very crass and they used to actually put like horrible quotes on her designers would say uh, she just has a kind of common look you know mm. she's good for like the trailer trash or the Hooters crowd they would just say fucked up shit about Kate Upton and then like a lot of these more like FHM and maybe they were maybe they were nagging her ba- basically <laughs> I mean but these were women though that's the thing like, like these were like oh, strange uh, yeah no, no, no these were like women saying this nasty stuff about her like she's She's the kind of person we don't want our husbands to be around. She's the kind of person that we don't let in our social circle. It was like that kind of like nasty mm. vibe. But, you know, so she was kind of like, you know what Guy Fieri is to um, food? She was kind of like that basically yeah. for a while uh, uh, to modeling. But she just kept moving so many units and you know all those terry richardson shoots and stuff suddenly the main places had to start taking her because they're like shit we're a dying industry like yeah. fuck it you know and one of the same places that uh was shitting on her had to like uh take her and i feel like that's a state that the bbc is in where it's like a lot of the shit we wouldn't do they're getting eyeballs over on like those private networks so actual bbc now is producing this dumb shit yeah well it's like, it's like the main like the, the white whale of british tv is love island which is like the most it is the 
the main show. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is, I think, the most watched TV program in, in, in the UK by like a order of magnitude. Yeah. But it's just a show where hot people are trapped in an island and they're trying to fuck. And if you don't fuck, you get kicked off the <laughs> island. <laughs> oh, shit. It's amazing. And, and I tried to do an American version. And I'm fascinated to see it, but I just think it can't be as good. Oh, man. I, I, I want to see, but I think it can't be as good. Well, Ken, this show was crazy. And you know what? I thought this girl that, you know, I like and I respect online, she said, uh, men who watch Love Island are cucks. And I was like, you are so wrong. Like, <laughs> it's all the drama. All but, the dramas in Love Island. But that is the most sociological document of our age right now. Oh, absolutely. Love drama. Like, I'm sorry, Love Island. But what's crazy about Love Island, right? This is how what I really realized about uh, England. Like, England is a lot like Toronto. Okay, I'm interested to hear how because I'm connected to both. Okay, like, Toronto has this kind of nice grittiness to it. You know, where it's like, okay, like, they're always up to date with America, but 10 years behind at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could absolutely get that. Toronto is like a re- sort of a reflection of whatever it thinks is as good elsewhere in the world, but slightly back in time. Like, I'll give you an example. They said that the reason Japan is so unique is that they said that basically they were they were a feudal nation, right? They were in feudalism, and then white people showed up with like giant ships, and everything they thought was their like greatest accomplishment. These people just had cannons and blew everything away, and they got kind of dejected and like fucked up by that. And they were very mad about what's his name, Commodore Perry? I yeah, Perry, this? gunboat, the original gunboat diplomacy. Yeah, they really, really took that as a major like loss of face and one of the big projects was we're going to catch up soon as possible to what's going on so they uh so people say if you look at japan japan is basically if in the feudal day if england in the feudal days of richard Lineheart or whatever jumped from that straight to modern uh <laughs> 70s or 80s someone's saying that's the best way to understand japan just picture britain just did a jump from feudalism and skipped all the middle steps so yeah th- his theory was that they're just still basically a lot of uh, feudalism still there they just kind of jumped to uh comes out in the work culture yeah it comes out in the work culture it comes down in honorifics and stuff and uh it's like I'm learning Japanese and a lot of the stuff honorifics in Japanese and all the stuff you have to learn. I'm like, you know what? In English, it was probably used to be like this. Like you had to call one person, sir. Mm. That person might kill you if you don't <laughs> call them right. You know, you have to know everybody's title. You have to know the rank of everybody. And I'm like, holy shit. All this stuff is so important in the language. It's not really something unique to Japanese. It's just, it's unique to the situation of feudalism, mm. you know? And we actually had that too. We just never uh, noticed it. But that artificial jump creates this weird oldness and newness I, I feel like british tv and culture has that like britain at some point wanted to jump in soft culture to where mm. america was and they sped it along yeah well think of cool but in some sense they didn't move forward well think of cool like the whole cool britannia thing in the 1990s like i think that the which is like that all of a sudden like english there's this huge renaissance of english pop culture around the world like everyone was listening to oasis and everyone was loving the spice girls and you know it was everything from our politicians were young we were like the prototype of the young cool politician with tony blair um yeah i can we, we sort of it, it does seem to see like we mostly looked out at what everyone else was doing and then just sort of did it more but faster i mean there are a and, lot of, and, and slicker like there's a, yeah. there's a kind of weird slickness to it that i can't explain but i think it started influencing even a back to america like yeah um well i mean the the whole story yeah. the whole story of like everything about europe and america from like the 1950s onward is a story of just constant exchange and actually i've been I, because i'm a real i'm a huge technophile 
Like I yeah. love techno music. And the thing that always gets me about it is that the whole story of techno music is the same thing, complete story of exchange between America and Britain, where like what starts as as like a lot of like starts at blues in the south yeah as it evolves it evolves to funk and then in detroit the three three guys uh derek may juan atkins and kevin saunderson belleville three these these three like young black men find they take the work of like parliament funkadelic but also Kraftwerk, who they're obsessed with and then they invent techno out of that and it's them just bringing together the sort of european and american culture but then techno sort of doesn't it, it it gets in the mainstream for a while but especially in the 90s and 2000s the mainstream forgets it and then it launches over to europe and then develops further and further and further and further into what we know now and then it comes back over here again but but you know what's so weird about that is like it started since uh, the beatles right yeah but same thing happened with punk i didn't realize that punk was american at first i always thought punk was a british first phenomenon i never knew that it started actually in new york and mm -hmm. that it actually was already dead in new york by the time it went to uh before yeah by the time it got to the uk yeah, yeah. 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 the uk That's, version of it is kind of cheesy if you end up becoming honest with yourself like and i still like the stuff but like okay well, like the sex pistols and the whole and the whole like going down yeah. the playing god save the queen on the river and stuff yeah it's just all like performance it's schlock yeah, yeah. it's such it's, schlock. It's, it's funny how um and i bought into it the whole sex pistols thing What's you up? mentioned craft work like craft work is uh like a seminal group that went it was almost like a fork in the road. It turned into techno, but it also had a huge impact in hip hop. Oh, Crapwork had a huge, uh, huge impact. So, you know, you get a lot of the, um, you know, like early 80s, uh, like electro, like especially in LA. You know what I'm saying? A lot of stuff that was coming out of LA, like, um, you know, Egyptian, Arabian, Egyptian Egypt, lover. Yeah. Arabian Prince you, was. Yeah. Arabian Prince, too. But like, this is what I find my interest about England, right? England always seems to start out, they discover something black that happened in America, and then they try to slavishly like reproduce it at first but they're just too british to do it well isn't that how but, but how rock sort of developed initially right oh, yeah yeah that to it was totally white, it was that yeah. like white a and r guys from britain were like getting their british bands to play american black music and then re-imported it britishly back into the that's exactly what happened yeah. with electronic with like with techno it as happened well. with house music acid house yeah all so that stuff like with techno it's the same thing it's created as this explicitly political explicitly racialized form of music in the American Midwest, goes back to Europe, gets whitened, and then becomes popular in America again as more and more people are liking techno but have no idea, but think it's a European kind well, of music. Well, 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 yeah, well, oh, yeah, well now techno is like festival music. It's like yeah. It's yeah. different. You used to have to go to like uh, gay clubs and, back, and black clubs just have house music, techno and stuff. And you know something interesting because uh, I was around in the uh, house era and stuff. Like we didn't even realize we were going to gay clubs. Like you went to the house music club and you just knew half the guys that were going to be gay. But like now that happened, people were like, oh, that's the gay club. That's a, like the identity of that club. But it was just more like, hey, if you want to go listen to house music, that's going to be the night. That's where you had to go. Yeah, that's where you had to go. But that's going to be the night. Yeah. There's a lot of um, gay people there. Like I never realized that straight people were guests in that house. Oh, yeah. At the time. I didn't but, but but back in those days, nobody thought about, you know, it's just like we were talking about the other yeah, day. No, no one like thought about people it. talked about uh, Little Nas X and his music and he's gay. and all. Yeah, but everybody, when I was a kid, everybody listened to George Michael. Everybody listened to Boy George. Everybody listened to Luther Vandross. We didn't care that they were gay. You know what I mean? That wasn't that wasn't the reason why we listened to them. But, you know what I'm saying? You didn't go to, to, to the spot where they played house music 
because there was gay people there, you went there for the music. To tie into the whole British thing, one thing I feel like the British people do is they don't just uh, they don't just whiten it. I think they kind of straighten it too. Yeah. Like, like it has a lot less. I think maybe because they take a lot of sexuality out of it in general. It, mm-hmm. it might just happen that maybe in this case, the sexuality is primarily gay. So it's so when they reduce the sexuality, it seems less gay. The British are deeply uncomfortable with sex generally. Like, yeah, don't they, get me wrong. They, they, they have tons of it. Yeah. Like, they're constantly fucking. It's just they're very uncomfortable about it. Yeah. And, like, and it's almost like an overcompensation. The it's, way why, they do it. it's why, like, so many. I think it's why alcohol is such a huge. Like, I, I walk. One of the things about, like, walking through, like, like American towns and stuff yeah. is, like, people are. Are, are fucked up but like yeah. in British towns there were constantly just groups of like just 18 year old 18 year old kids like from the posh suburbs or whatever or just sort of drunkenly stumbling around getting it just randomly getting into fights like when I was at, at university at Oxford um, there was always like the main the main street with all the clubs on it yeah. every weekend night was just filled with like affluent kids from the suburbs getting so drunk they can't stand up and then peeing themselves and falling over like they just had an ambulance there on call all the time and I think it's because like British people like even when they're like like 18 like these kids like they're just so tenuous they're just so like weird about uh, even like talking to a member of the opposite sex usually that they'll get blackout drunk before they're oh, willing to like do anything Sweden yeah. was exactly the same way yeah Sweden was exactly the same way but particularly Stockholm I shouldn't I feel like cities have a monoculture now that I think uh, but, the, but the British ones definitely did they do the same thing people were falling down drunk at the end of every night that I was hanging out in Stockholm because they had to get that drunk to um and then I would ask people like what do you guys do on dates because you have to be sober and it's like the date usually goes bad unless you plan it on a night we can get drunk again so people have their first date getting fall down drunk again because once they're sober again they would tell me all that uh tension gets reintroduced and you have to start over again like yeah uh, yeah yeah it's um it's it's like uh, it's something that's, that's weirdly it's, it's it's a very strange attitude um yeah, that's very strange yeah yeah hey i mean I, uh, i'm choosing to live there for some reason yeah. <laughs> but one of the things i can appreciate about, about yeah i mean yeah it's very um, one of the things i can appreciate about the uk and, and europe as a whole is they preserve hip-hop yeah they do to its truest form i think one of the and there's like there's a lot of a lot of rappers that you know a lot of people you know have a lot of respect for over here in the underground make a living over there J. Ruta damage and you know people like that they make a living over in europe like they don't even perform in the united states anymore but I feel it's strictly too, over in Europe. I feel like they study so much that in one level it's flattering, but I also think they're just constantly archiving stuff and studying stuff. Like like the way their brains work, I find is so interesting. Like uh, when I was becoming more savvy about like uh, the history of punk and stuff, it was kind of interesting that, you know, this guy from Britain, uh, Malcolm, what's his name? Is Malcolm it? McLaren. Malcolm McLaren. Ma- Malcolm McLaren. Yeah. He's like worked in some place. He worked in like CBGBs or something. And he was in that the scene. Buffalo Girl. And he was just Malcolm soaking McLaren. up everything like a sponge. Yeah. And then um, he went back home and he's like, you know, he, he noticed hip hop and he did like Buffalo Girls. Like, yeah. he was just noticing and trying stuff and staging it. And like, will this work? Will that work? And he went to England and he just unveiled it. And now when I look back on it, and I like a lot of the stuff still, but now I look back at it, I'm like, there's something almost campy to it. You mm. know, you know, there's something more, a continuation of Warhol in this. It's not really what the uh, New York stuff was. Well, look, when, when I... One of the ways I, I often describe London is that London stopped being London in about 2006, largely because it was replaced with a city that was designed to appeal to what everyone liked about London. So I refer to it, I refer to it as London, but like London land. 
It's like a it's like a theme park about London that has cool rides like Shoreditch, where there's a bar in a cargo container, and you know Mayfair, where you, know, you can you can walk past the real Duke of Rochester's house or whatever, and it just it feels like a place that is to be indirectly experienced rather than lived in. Um, when I watch Love Island, right, mm-hmm. I look at it and it looks so two thousands, yes. right, and it looks like. In America, when um, Jessica Simpson and Dak Shepard were like uh, big stars and they had that movie, uh, I think it's Employee of the Month or something. And people had, like all the girls had like velour mm. tracksuits and people would go to awards in velour tracksuits that said like juicy on the butt. And, of course. And you'll see like, you know. like uh, An era I remember well. Yeah, J-Lo went in a tracksuit. Like 2000 was just, a, everyone looked like somebody at hooters happy hour like mm-hmm. I, it was it's a weird time like people are going to awards red carpets with like bedazzled velour headbands and j-lo j-lo went in a whatever pink went in the whatever uh dudes are just showing jerseys to awards yeah yeah it was just a weird uh time and i feel like love island aesthetically is kind of in that time like the girls have the roots growing in like they do you feel as though like very britney spears that's, that's like it's, do, you, do you feel as though it's like much like, much like, like even like London, where just sort of Love Island, like shows like Love Island, are the ways through which we indirectly re-experience the drop. Like the, especially people who are sort of between the ages of like twenty-five and forty are re-experiencing their teenage dramas. Yeah, maybe that's what it is because I guess a lot of people were teenagers at the time. Uh, Britney Spears and all of them um, mm. came out, but the people like. The employee say, of the month decade. They, yeah, they say things, right, Ken? They remind you yeah. that they're in the modern day. Like, they'll be like, hashtag this. And I get shocked out. I'm like, okay, yeah. wait a minute. I'm not watching um, Coupling. I'm not watching a yeah. 2000s. No one has a flip phone. Yeah. No one crucially, flip- in Love Island, no one has a phone. Yeah. Oh, no they're one has totally a- cut off from contact to the outside world. They have only to think of trying to get with each other. Yeah. That's literally, they are trapped on an island with no contact to the outside world and nothing to do but try to fuck. Yo, this is up there with that Milgram experiment with the electroshock. Like, like this yeah. is a sociological document well, that people are dismissing as just a reality show. It's one good thing, actually, also to compare it with the Milgram experiment because one of the things that's happened is, like, one of the previous contestants has committed suicide. Like, there's just no aftercare they get from being on the show. They're just... You're like a 22-year-old auto mechanic from, like, Liverpool. People and then don't. all of a sudden you're famous, but you have to deal with the pressures of being famous. And but you're like a weird kind of famous that doesn't make you any money. Yeah. So you you're it's put like into reality the- TV here. <laughs> you, you know, you know that movie was crazy. The craziest thing was the movie The Truman Show. But the yeah. the craziest thing with the movie The Truman Show, right? And and you could tell that's from a book written long ago. Like the big thing The Truman Show gets wrong that I just realized is it thought. Anyone would have to be crazy to sign up for that. So to tell a story about it, it had to be about somebody who was tricked, like followed. But in the real life, is people want to be in a Truman Show, like that's, desperately. Yeah, people yes. desperately like that's where the Truman Show is like actually wrong. Like this idea that he's violated and upset to find out that his life is the Truman Show, and you know that people have too much integrity for that and a lot of people want the Truman Show you yeah know? yeah. I mean you see even people will even lie to it to make their lives seem like that like yeah people volunteer to, yeah well I seen somebody today it was a young lady and she was um, on Twitter talking and she posted a picture of herself I think I showed you and it said something like they said I would never make it out of Philadelphia and they never said I would be a 
Nobody told you that. Oh yeah, yeah. Some, nobody. They told me I would never be on a runway. Nobody told you that. He, he's talking you create about create the story. He, like he, you've created a. You know. He was talking about um this um girl. This is a model. She put up a picture of stuff at a runway, and she was like, "They told me I'd never do this. They told me I'd never do that." And all the uh, replies were like, "Yes, yes, amazing, whatever." And Ken was like, "I do not believe any. I don't believe anyone told her that. Like, like she looks like it's no. a conventionally attractive model. Like, like she created this underdog." Well, like a little narrative for herself. Yeah, they create a story, and it's like they start living through that story. So then, next thing you know, you know, they create more stories about you know. So it's like a, it's like through social media, they're they're living in a Truman Show. Well, so you know what I mean, but they're asking for it. So what's happened? I think what's happened in Britain is that through programs like Love Island and Big Brother and all this, the UK has managed to industrialize the process of creating these people. And and that's wow. what they that's what they do. Like it's what they did to rock and roll. Is what they did to like this one thing happens. They criticize it until it just gets too corny then they go and find something else genuinely working class or black or poor or whatever and just do the process over again but yeah watch watch winch with so britain yeah. basically britain never stopped doing imperialism yeah, no they just do it culturally they do it, they do it culturally and i think there's like a sweet spot where it's actually great yeah you know what i mean there's a perfect balance where it becomes great then it just jumps that part and it just becomes too british mm-hmm. and people are just <laughs> like oh, you lost me again this just sounds way british and then they have to start the process all over again that's why I'm valuable because <laughs> I'm able to talk about British shit without sounding too British. You're like a double agent, man. It's like <laughs> you're gonna yeah. go back. They're gonna look at you different now. They're gonna be like, yeah. "Oh, this guy." I'm, is- I'm what I'm what Albert Memmi was talking about, but for Britain. You're doing what they've always done to us, to them. Like, like, like you're, the, you're right now. You're gonna Malcolm McLaurin the Brits and sit there and soak it up, and then Absolutely. you're gonna. I'm bring, I'm bringing it all back. <laughs> yeah. It's just what what am I what I'm bringing back? I guess is um getting super drunk in parks at the weekend and um, getting way too into social media because of being on TV. Describe the the theme, like what your podcast is, because I feel like we haven't actually... Oh, yeah. Discuss it, but give like examples. I love this, Dakota. Uh, Ken, Ken, listen to this podcast idea. It's a pretty uh, good concept, I think. I, uh, oh, wait. So, wait. The, so, I mean, wait, didn't I talk about this earlier? But, wait, no, but like examples, because you had, okay. so, because you've come up with some heinous products and oh, yeah. services. Well, we don't, we don't do, so we'll, we'll, so the profiles of um, insane products, services, and startups, I only do when I find one. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. There was one, let's see, what's a, what's a, oh, yeah. One fun one I love to talk about is um a smart scale that's wi-fi connected and bluetooth enabled um and it's po- it's available in america I, I think it's called a scala uh, and you step on it and it tells you your weight in as a, like a smiley face um but if you receive scala through your employer like through your health insurance plan it tells your boss your weight in a number so you get a smiley face. Your boss gets the number. So your boss is tracking your weight. And they're able to use it to negotiate your insurance. Maybe they see it, maybe they don't, but they're, they use the data to negotiate your insurance plan. So it puts your health, it puts basically your health, the onus of your health care costs on you because it's a scale that won't tell you your weight, but will give you a smiley face. And people probably chase that smiley face. People love the smiley face. And you're just giving them, and, and this is one of the things like I kind of don't like what black mirrors become but there is a need for a show like that almost if it's a show that does it badly well, like i'll tell you what the thing about black mirror for me is like i think it, it's a fun and entertaining show when it's good but I, anyone who says that it's political is i think wrong yeah because in black mirror the antagonist is usually the technology itself it's like the one where they get it closest is the second episode they did one million merits like yeah. it's, it's daniel kalua i think actually um yeah that's one of my favorite ones yeah, that's, that's one, the best that's the one, one i always recommend 
mentor people. Yeah, because that one is about not because the technology is quite mundane. It's just a spinning bike and a screen. It's all about the systems of control in this futuristic prison where people are forced to sit on bikes and spin them and spend their the they get tokens for producing energy and they spend it on cartoons for an avatar. But it shows how like no matter how much you work, you don't get anywhere if the system is stacked against you. And then like the porn, the porn was just brutal and just um like like it was just very regimented like okay uh here's like five minutes of porn okay here's uh here's a commercial okay now here's something optimistic uh everything was so yeah uh, this episode was fantastic beautiful episode but then other episodes will just tend to be like what if your phone talked to you or whatever you know and so it's the instead what if you could mail order your husband yeah uh, a carbon copy of him so it's like it's it's all about the idea of ooh, wouldn't this technology be weird as opposed to thinking about how technologies get used that's why i think the evil flows out of the technology as opposed to the technology enabling a type of evil that's already in yeah exactly and that's why one million merits is good because that's what it's about the technology is secondary ken have you ever seen one million merits i've never seen any of them uh i've never seen black mirror either you gotta check out black mirror uh, yeah so so is is black mirror like a series of different shows kind of like tales from the dark side or yeah exactly okay it's exactly but one million merits you know what i want you to see it. i'm not going to tell you because if i tell you how it turns out i'm going to ruin the episode for you but that's a really good episode and i feel like i'm very surprised people don't talk about it more in america i feel like it's a very american thing going on yeah well it's also i think it's i think a lot of people just want to say oh it's just like black mirror without really thinking about what black mirror is it means but the thing is also like this is the product of ultimately of like of charlie brooker who's a comedian a very popular comedian in the uk who didn't come from the usual comedian route which basically is a because it comes out of most of the comedians or a lot of the comedians, like a, a high pro- percentage of them are privately educated and went to Oxford or Cambridge because there are these prestigious comedy societies that sort of train you up and churn you out. And just a disproportionately high number of people go on to successful careers in comedy, having been to public yeah. school, by the way, fee paying private schools, we call public school. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a there's a reason for it that dates from like the 1600s. But uh, Charlie Brooker, who made Black Mirror, wasn't from that milieu. Like he wasn't yeah. a graduate of Oxbridge or whatever. And so I think he was initially, at least, he made something that was more biting and a little bit less fluffy. Yeah, I think once it got the Americans involved, then it just became... Like, again, this idea, and I'm not saying it's totally wrong, but I think they kind of overdo it. Where I think there's this idea that, okay, Americans are dumb. They're going to need a dumb version of whatever the show is. And I feel like they started doing that with Black Mirror. Like, for example, I always use this, this example a lot, but I always say, like, when you watch the original Office with Ricky Gervais, um, that boss was dumb in, like, a realistic way. Mm. Um, he was also cruel in a way that Michael Scott wasn't really. Yeah, he was cruel, but both of it was, like, realistically, like, you've seen that boss boss like you know that guy and i always feel like with the office they were like if we this is my assumption with the, with the u.s office is that they they did and they're like you know what americans aren't going to get that well, the ricky gervais guy is dumb or he, he's stupid too many of them might just think he's a regular guy mm-hmm. like we need to make him <laughs> dumb enough that even americans can tell he's dumb well, also i think the other thing is like americans ultimately want all of their main characters to be likable mm-hmm. and like at the end of the day, like the David Brent, the Ricky Gervais character, is like a deeply vile person. Yeah. Who is a small minded, cruel tyrant. Whereas in The Office, Michael Scott, as the series goes on, just he becomes a bumbling idiot who loves everyone he's around. Like he's a redeemable character. Yeah, but, but he's also like t- 
too dumb to live. So it's like he's um, a cartoon. Yeah, he's just a total. He's like the transition from Homer Simpson in series in series two to eight of The Simpsons to Homer Simpson now. Yeah, where he's just a dumb cartoon. Yeah, like I think one thing I think if I can even pick up on a theme is that one of the things we've been sort of talking about is that when things jump cultures, they lose a lot of their power. Yeah, they lose a lot of their their feeling their feeling of power. And I think if I can advance a theory as to why, I mean they get stripped of things. But if I can advance a theory as to why, it's because many of the is because the power a lot of the power bringing culture from the U.S. to U.K. or vice versa is capital, and it's taking it from a form of self-expression like punk was or like techno was, and stripping it of everything that made it self-expressive and repackaging it as a sanitized, standardized commodity in wherever it has jumped to. Yeah, it's basically what the industrial revolution. Uh, they're just replicated with culture where it just becomes something you can like regiment, mass produce. Yo, we just did Adorno right now. Yeah, I guess we did. Wow. <laughs> we, we podcasted so hard we accidentally <laughs> wrote the dialectic of enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we did that. But but seriously, like British, you know something, you know something else that I feel like got dispelled about British people to me besides just the fact that there's a lot of trashiness there that I didn't know was there. But it actually was Surprises always... so many Americans. Yeah, it was always kind of there and stuff like like for example the show little britain when i saw little britain i'm like this is just like an american oh man level dumb show the like, main the main the main writer from that show is and that show is so huge classes. centrist oh that show is so classic it, it so, hates poor people i'm like how do people not see that this show little britain it's the most hateful well, against poor wait, people one of the main one of the ever seen in my life one of the main jokes is someone who's a benefits grounder who's faking being in a wheelchair that's oh my god that show is so reactionary yeah. it's so creepily reactionary in a way that only the two thousands. I mean, like could, you, you uh, can you that. can be reassured to know that the creator of Little Britain hates Jeremy Corbyn. Oh yeah, and I'm not surprised at all. Oh, but it's like one of the questions I thought about. Um England is okay. They have these low budget shows because of what they're doing within the limitations of this budget. If you gave them a huge budget, American sized budget, you would see some incredible um, stuff because now the means of making the things would catch up to their brilliant ideas and the not- cheesiness would be gone. But instead, it's this weirdly brilliant, expensive cheesiness. Sherlock. Like, exactly. Sherlock's Sherlock. the perfect example of that, where it's like, okay, a lot of the constrictions you had from not having a budget. You've kind of grown into that shape. So now you can only grow in that, in that, uh, but also, like, you, you realize you get the American-sized budgets because you're pitching to an American audience. And Sherlock, they want to see they want to see a kind of British person that doesn't really exist, which is this like you know, which is this this twee professor or whatever, and that's who's you know walking around the bobbies on the beat. Like the whole thing feels like just again, it's just Brit- Britain themed. Yeah, I was gonna say it's that London land, that, that England land that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone's like, oh well, of course in. Written, they would speak in half riddles and always have a ready Latin quote or whatever. Well, it's like it happens within the UK as well. And then like all the black guys are just grime guys, you know. Yeah. If you like watch something British, like you know, they're all just. Um, well, it's like a lot of people also are like, yeah, grimes, British rap, of course. Like yeah. forgetting that there are British rap artists who are not grime. Grime, yeah, exactly. Stuff. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, this called it all like grime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'll say this thing even this kind of thing even happens like inside Britain as well. So like one of the one of the interesting things is like because there is like two tiers of like many tiers of universities in Britain but like there's Oxbridge 
uh, that's like the most prestigious that everyone you know kills themselves for. Yeah, uh, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the other universities where it tend to be stereotyped is where you go if you didn't get into Oxbridge, but that are still very good. Yeah. And so what's really interesting is that a lot of like the drinking societies at like the other universities, like you know like Durham or York or whatever, um, a lot of what they'll do is they'll try to ape all the student clubs, like ape what they think are Oxbridge traditions. Oh, and they don't even actually correspond to anything over there. So what, what's really interesting? Life of its own. So in in like so. In, in 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 Oxford, like I was saying, like these people like puking, just like chugging down like like Alka Pops, like getting like, getting off on cat in like a toilet stall or whatever, like like dirty, like a lot of really filthy partying, but just like generally people just being people. Yeah. And then uh, around at other universities, there'll be people like, well, we're going to be uh, more o- more Oxbridge than Oxbridge, and so yeah. in our support our drinking society, you know, every man has to pour a bottle of port all over himself in black tie. Like literally, that is one of the uh, one of those has done that. Yeah. And so it's this weird thing where you have an imagination of what this other place is, and then in trying to act it out, you do a new thing, the, completely the new. Up, yeah, yeah, and it almost ends up becoming like a parody of the uh, a caricature, not parody. Yeah, it's like it becomes a caricature of the original, and then that keeps happening. And I feel like it ties in a lot to um, what TV's becoming. There, it's just weird. Like, like Hot Fuzz was onto something. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was onto. Well, I think I mean Hot Fuzz was, I think, onto like the inherently like reactionary, the reactionary ideas of community around Britain. Like, I I think Hot Fuzz is actually one of the best shows to portray some of the mindset, including like the latent racism and classism, not latent, often very uh, overt, that led to um like the that's been part of the like the resurgence of the right in that country. The idea that this yeah. is our town. British racism like is, yeah. is, is real, but it's so coded. Well, it's like, it's because it's like the villains in Hot Fuzz. It's like, we like our town. It's a very nice town. We bear you no ill will, but we want to keep our town lovely. And like, that's one of the main things that leads British fascists to fascism is that feeling like that there is this quaint English countryside that must be kept quaint and harmless by any means necessary. Okay. And I feel like that's why the alt-right seems to have such an American-British connection. Like, yeah. it's a way that they've finally found a way to, like, to really uh, bridge. But, uh, Kenny, have you ever been to England? Never. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been either. So, I, like I said, I have this, like, cartoon version. And it's been kind of, like, dispelled, but... Um in, Sorry, in a you lot dispel of your cartoon version of the yeah, UK. Yeah, but I mean, no, I mean, they dispelled it themselves. One of the things being Love Island, like, and also because we talked about this in the past, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, some of their internet personalities, like, they have some scammy internet personalities that I'm like, wow, they have the same scammy type of internet personalities that America has. You know, they have their own climbing pundits and all this stuff. And I but feel we, like we do it more. I, I'm now really buying your thing that like a lot. But when British and American, when British or American cultural memes jump across the Atlantic, yeah. they become weird and hyper normalized. Hyper, yes, exactly. Yeah, England seems very hyper normalized. This idea that it's so. It's, it's so it's, it's pervasive. A, yeah, it's just a caricature of normality that it yeah. becomes abnormal again. Well, and so, like, even the, so, what we have is like our Instagram grifters, like your your Instagram grifters will sell like a method of selling on Amazon or whatever. Our Instagram grifters will sell methods to become Instagram grifters. <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's, we all, it is. It's that's why I think like the term hypernormalized is really good because it's it is one step further from reality, but with even harder enforced normalcy. It, and also weird is how they handle race. Like they're trying to be so post-racial that it almost becomes more racist. Because you watch on Love Island, no one or people will try very very hard not to say what race anyone is. So it's like 
there'll be a black guy who'll just show up on Love Island and just no one will act different. And it's just very weird. I feel like an American show, someone will find some way to just bring up a conversation that he's black. And it's like... Oh, it's yeah. Like, the black guy never wins. You know, no, never no, no but not just never win. You have to bring up that he's black somehow. It has to be worked yeah. into the narrative. Like, um, like America tries that sometimes, uh, but we don't usually try that very often. Like, for example, uh, have you ever seen... It's a terrible show, so I'm going to assume like neither of you have seen it. Have you ever seen a show called The Flash? No. Uh, the show the flash it's on cw it's a terrible show i stopped watching it but one of the things they had there's a black family on it and no one brings up the family's black to the point that it just creates this, some weird dynamics because then you start wondering how does this happen L- like you know the the black guy is the foster father barry allen the flash who's like the white hero right and so he grew up in a black family like like, like the, the flash basically his dad went to prison and this wasn't the comic books they just had the flash grew up in a black family a black father a black sister a black mother i mean the mother ended up i think leaving but i'm like but he's just the regular comic book flash that everybody knows mm-hmm. they've changed this major thing like you would think he'd be like I'm okay this is a white guy who grew up in a black family like how do you not oh, talk about you know what else? it's like in jurassic park 2 when yeah. ian malcolm just inexplicably has a black daughter and th- again it's it's something that just hasn't affected or changed like at yeah, no yeah. point has everything the ex- stays yeah. the same well, you know what it is it's that this uh, this weird thing in the 19 I think it maybe it was the 90s when this was happening yeah where this this was seeing on screen the liberal idea of a post-racial society that you get to by forgetting about race instead of dealing with it and, but you know it's funny like power take a look at like Power Rangers right I think Power Rangers is a great example you look at Power Rangers that's such an American way to do it like hey we have these five Rangers in the Asian one let's put her in yellow that's fine <laughs> uh, put the black with the black <laughs> That right? one writes itself. <laughs> yeah, because this is diversity. Ah! Diversity makes it great. And they just have to find stupid ways to remind you that he's black. Like, we can look at him. He's black, right? Yeah. But um, it wouldn't even be good reasons. Like, for example, so the black Power Ranger, the hip-hop keto. Like, like why? Why is that necessary? But they're like, okay. Because it was the 90s. No one was woke yet. Yeah, but they had anxiety. Like, we have to remind people he's black somehow. Like, his visuals aren't going to be enough. If he's not noticeably black somehow, we're going to lose them. Like, but- that's how America does race. It's very weird. You have to keep reminding someone, like you watch Bonanza, they have to keep over Chineseing that guy. You know what I but, mean? But uh, then in, um, oh yeah, in, Hop Singh, yeah. in yeah. subsequent seasons of the Power Rangers, they made sure never to put the black never character in the again. black armor. But then at, at the same time, it's one of these other things where it's like it's like, it's almost like correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't it be like okay, well you went from really playing the race thing hard yeah. to now pretending that the race thing never existed. But that's where I think Britain is at, which just yeah. fascinates me. Like, Britain is like, you know, that correction that Power Rangers made, where it was like, we're never going to be the, that big an asshole again. Now we're just going to act like no one's any race. Like, you know? Um, so do, do you think that's too far over to the other side? I, I'm not sure, because I think it almost makes it more fascinating. Because like, I watched Love Island. That's why yeah. I like watching Love Island. Is watching people get involved in this stuff and the race stuff is having a play but everyone has to pretend that it's not yeah so everyone has to pretend that this guy like like, like for example there'll be a, like what's interesting in that show like the black people rarely seem to go for each other it happens once in a while but they always seem to always gravitate toward like white people or if it's a intra-black thing it will usually be two light-skinned people or you know a light-skinned person with a mixed-race person but if the girl the guy is extremely dark i I feel like that person will always really want to be with the white people. Yep. Cause it's all, that's how it usually plays out. Yeah. Cause it's almost like they're like, um, okay, I'm with these people. Real success is to be picked by the white ideal style bachelor. You know, you know what I mean? Like I feel like because of the extra pressure, but I feel like an American show that would kind of come out more 
because the black people tweeting would be like, oh, I think she doesn't like her because she's dark skin. I don't think she likes her because she's light skin or whatever. And the white people will be saying a lot of crazy, overtly racist stuff on Twitter. And then the twain will meet. That'd be an interesting conversation. But Love Island is like the flash. Like, no one can bring up anything. No one brings up if you're dark skin, if no. you're light skin, except as a way to make you look like you're an example of the success of the British cultural experiment. So someone mm. will say, so where's your family from? Oh, my mother's from Jamaica and my father is British and my uh, great-grandparent is uh, Lebanese. That's the only time race will come up in Love Island. Well, I think the the one if there is if there's one sort of event that sums up, I think, or one one event that sums up recent racial history in Britain, I think that sort of plays into what you're saying about Love Island. It was the 2012 Olympics opening ceremony where the children of the Windrush arrivals were playing their parents, and everyone was very pleased about this um, this this celebration here. But the, at the same time, Britain was actively targeting them. British citizens for deportation, right? Like if you want to look at Britain's weirdness about race summed up in a single event, it is a crowd of like, you know, mostly white people, mostly and many like, you know, aristocrats, if I can queen, whatever, um, standing up in a stadium that was built on land that was basically jet, that was seized more, more or less entirely from like, like people of color or like the, that, that the creation of the Olympic Park involved like getting rid of like a lot of those neighborhoods, um, celebrating Britain's, Britain's symbolic commitment to diversity with a crowd that was literally targeted for deportation. Yeah, I'll say this about England. Sorry, with a, cra- a cast, rather, that was literally targeted for deportation. Uh, your story is making me think about this, right? I feel like I would never excuse alt-right racism or, you know, the whole white genocide thing, but I will say I understand it more if you're British. And as weird as it is to say, I understand it less in America. I feel like it's still a fantasy, but in England, I can see the persuasive power of the fantasy. And that's like, okay, like, I'll give a perfect example. I was watching the Olympics in London like years ago. And today's show was covering the Olympics in uh, London. And they were like, hey, let's take, they had a celebrity chef come up. I forgot who it was. And they were like, hey, let's take a tour around the best places in London. The first four were Indian for, for food. Then um, there was like an Afghani place. There was another ethnic food. Like, like there was a Jamaican place that was great. And I'm like, wow, there's no British food. On yes, this British thing. food culture sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no there's no British food. And then they finally had one. I think it was almost like, like a token one. Mm-hmm. They have a British restaurant. Uh, come on. I'm like, oh, wow, this would be great. And what this thing was was all elevated versions of uh, British staples. So I was like, okay, it's British food, but it's like... The fusion great chef food network version of Londonland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was like reclaimed com- our take on fish and chips. Yeah, but but we've added like cumin in it yeah. and stuff. We're like, okay, that, no, I've had like authentic fish and chips. It's supposed to be like just a it's supposed to be greasy as hell. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to eat through the newspaper it's wrapped in. So like, I can kind of almost see why someone in Italy could kind of feel like, oh, I want to be reactionary, reassert my culture, because I feel like nothing British is uh, really popping anymore. It's anything is, uh, like, like the music, the, the cultural revolution of England, like the music is black music. It's, yeah. uh, it's rock and roll. It's like black music. Okay. You're drinking tea all day. That's from India. Yeah, you're um, you're okay. Now you got punk. Punk is so full of reggae. Like people don't actually realize, like a lot of those uh, punk songs are actually like reggae songs that the studio made them kind of whiten it up. But they were they were trying to do a lot of reggae and punk. It was uh, crazy. But 
the grime, the a lot of this stuff. I can kind of see how they, someone can really uh, get stuck into a white genocide kind of thing in uh, England. Well, America, I don't get it as much. Well, I'll say this about England, right? Like, yeah. I think there are two competing ideas of what it means to be English. And I think, well, there's sort of three. It's like, there's the one, which is the white supremacist one, which is the one where they think that, you know, it's the standard white supremacy shit, you know, which is like, well, w- the punk music is great because it's because it's white and English food is great. And, oh, the Indians are fine because they brought the curry, but, you know, we know how to make curry now so they can leave. Like, that's the white white supremacist yeah. one. And then there is one that I think is genuinely sees, like, that Engl- the history of England might be one of brutality, but, like, a good sort of consolation prize is that we actually do have a really good, like, we have have a really good multi-ethnic state where we're build our own culture that isn't connected to that kind of white supremacy movement like where you don't you, you like you celebrate all like the mixing of food and shit and all, all mixing of cultures and all of these things that make everyday life really fun and you celebrate like all of that mixing together and you leave the attitude of like oh you came here you brought the curry like you leave that in, in 2019 and, and 2018 that, and, I mean and that ideal diversity kind of becomes part of that London land like you have that kind of Benetton ad yeah. version of but what I think so is there's like the good version of it and the bad version of it because there's the there's the bad version of it where it becomes just the image of diversity to sell a thing but then there's the good version of it which I think also really happens in London a lot it just happens in off to the side it happens in DIY spaces it happens at like the world transformed yeah like where there is I think a desire to make something new. And I think for me, that doesn't have that feeling of London land. That doesn't have that feeling of sort of empty spiritual deadness. But what I think um, London does with race, uh, from looking from the outside, I haven't been there, but talking to people, I feel like something that happens there, right? I feel like in America, black people in America had it so bad at the fault of white people. There's always going to be a certain knowledge like, wow, we still have more to do. You know what I'm saying? There's also be like more kind of racism because of it too, because they hate that living room reminder of you know the atrocities and sometimes the response to that is to commit like more atrocities to kind of wipe it out of view but i feel like with england there's a very strong ideal that we were a net good for you people oh totally you know and, and, that's, that and that's part of where our better diversity comes from because our blacks our browns our whatever are grateful there's a sense of that and i feel like when i feel like british anti-racism is British blacks or British minority people pushing back against that. Mm. They're, they're pushing back against something different than what American black people are kind of. That makes a lot of sense. So like there is this um there is this constant thread uh especially about the British Empire that talks all about how well we gave them railroads as though that was somehow worth it. But but they also kind of take credit for like national characters. Like for example, uh Indian people are supposed to be uh studious and I mean a lot of this happens because of Im- how immigration like selects and stuff like that, you know, cuz um but there'll be kind of model minority stereotypes or whatever like you know or Nigerian people are like hyper achievers and stuff. But kind of take credit for that which I, i've seen sometimes like a neil ferguson type oh yeah you, you know like yeah, they, yeah. like they say something like uh, we make fun of neil ferguson a lot yeah so, so i think he might have said something like or maybe it's another british story but he was saying every country that england colonized is obsessed with education and you know kind of saying like there are children we made them this you know that's why they're the stars of africa you know uh we- it's never considered that you know they're obsessed with education because there was a massive bureaucratic colonial state sort of plopped down there that exactly. had educational among other gates yeah yeah exactly you kind of created the only way they could survive and so now what we've created a, a lot of people with like 
you with like like communications degrees like good job good job england you know you've you created more you you've created higher demand for communications degrees at, in the best possible reading of history in the most rosy possible reading of history that's that's what they've accomplished and i could be dead wrong about this uh, i don't know if you ever interacted with british people um ken but i feel like there's a lot of black british people who just some level agree with it like you know that um britain has been a net good for me and my people like if if I was born there or if Britain never happened, like what would I be in? I like this British society I'm in. I like the diversity. I like the perks and stuff. And I think, A, that's why American people now really like working with black British actors because there's one of the black British actors even said that where he said, um, we don't carry this hostility toward white people that like uh, American black people have. And it's like, um, I think that's why Hollywood likes hi hiring these guys now. But I also feel like it's in Love Island. Like in Love Island, there's this kind of thing. It's like, I'm happy to, like I'm here on Love Island. I'm happy to be here. I'm part of the grand experiment that is uh, England. I, I belong, you know, like, like I'm just fascinated at how important it is for these groups to feel like a part of of England and there's a part of England that they're like, hey, you can be here, but you're never really going to be I mean, I guess that's the that's the, the two sides of what I was mentioning earlier, right? There's the vision of England that is the we're all going to just forget everything that happened in the past and pretend it doesn't exist. You know, and then there's the one where it's you know, there is more of an more of an acknowledgement there, which I don't know if that's a better or worse thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I mean, we'll see because this Windrush stuff and all this other stuff is going to um, be interesting. But you know what I find interesting too, this is the last thing I'm going to say, is they kind of have, and this kind of goes more to what you know we're talking about, like how they copy a lot of American stuff and they mutate it into something else that some people find better, some people find worse. Black Lives Matter and Afropunk and a lot of uh, intersectionality is kind of going over there. And I'm very curious what is going to become over there. And I feel like there's already a couple of of uh, black influencers there that are kind of like ramping up to be like Britain's Issa Rae and stuff like that. And like the last thing I want to ask you is having seen like um, kind of what the socialism, the Bernie Sanders type of socialist field movement that's happening here and then the Corbyn style one that uh, I think a lot of people are taking for granted is just a British version of uh, what's happening here. Which ways would you say like they're alike and very different? And would you be willing to call one better than the other? Um, no, I would be willing to call one better than the other because I think where they're better than one another is in specific subsets. Yeah. So like, I think, for example, if you're, if we're talking about a movement as its policies and then a movement as a movement and then a movement as a potential for like just democratizing society, right? The movement as its policies, I think Bernie's foreign policy is not as good as Corbyn's. I think Corbyn tends to be better on foreign policy because Corbyn came up through anti-imperialism, you know, where, whereas Bernie was always sort of a domestic first, then sort of thought about imperialism as an afterthought. Yeah. Whereas I think that um, a lot of the, like there's like some grassroots DSA works seems to be better at like trying to help people avoid or deal with the police much better than a lot of what's going on in Britain. That's not to say that Britain doesn't have this. Yeah. It's just that the British left movement, because in some ways it's based on rebuilding a state that was ripped to shreds by the Tories, is sort of over eager sometimes to say, oh, we're going to fund police again like the Tories haven't, you know. And so I'm saying like that's something that we could be doing better on. Um, and then in terms of just seizing control of a party to sort of radically democratize the 
societies like movement, um, it seems like the British left, like the structure of the Labour Party is just sort of easier to enter and then enact direct control over as a mass membership. Mm. Whereas like there's no way that rank and file Democrats can vote for Pelosi, but when they can, rank and file Labour members can vote for Corbyn. Yeah, I see what you mean, because like uh, I think it's like way harder for the DSA wing uh, to really overtake uh, mainstream Democrat politics. So we're kind of seeing that now where it's almost like uh, Pelosi and Trump. Uh, it's weird. Pelosi is in this kind of weird place where she can't ever actively thank Trump or agree with Trump. So she has to kind of be like, let's be clear. I'm not siding with that troglodyte, but she's basically kind of in a way more part of um, his world than she is. It's never been more clearly pro wrestling than it is now. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. And uh, I mean, that's why I always do the Harlem Globetrotters analogy, which is like the Democrats are just the Washington generals. They're yeah. just there to get embarrassed. <laughs> Oh, God. And I think it's a good place to end it. Any last things you want to plug? I want to say, it seems like you know, the podcast is doing pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah. People seem to like it. Are you guys like the main game in town uh, as far as when it comes to socialism as like a kind of new media thing? Or has there been like an insurgent uh, group um, of I'd say podcasts there's, there? There's not so much podcasts. There is a sort of more me- wholesale media thing that does podcasts and YouTube and text and stuff called Novara that's really good. Yeah. I recommend people check out. I'd say they're probably more serious than us on the whole but like Ash Sarkar, who I mentioned earlier, she came up through Novara. Um, a lot of great people have as well. Uh, we're, I guess, the main like comedy la- left comedy podcast, I think. Um, but there are lots of other good ones. Like if you're interested in British politics and you don't mind poor audio quality, check out Real Politic as well with two E's. You know, so that that's quite fun there as well. But I think like that we're gonna have a, a we're gonna have a. I'd like to see us have more of an explosion of new left media because it feels like it sort of started and then didn't keep going. Mm, but I mean, you guys are doing live shows now and everything. Well, so we're doing live shows. Y- yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, uh, a, market a market for it. For, it. for sure. There's definitely a market for, sure. for it. I'd like to see that too, because uh, I am very curious about what's going on over there. I like what you guys are doing, what Ash Sakar is doing and stuff. And um, yeah, I would love to um, have you on again, talk about it yeah. more and stuff. And I'm telling you, I want, if you find any good Love Island think pieces oh, and yeah. race, I would love to see it. And I want to see what the American one's going to be like, because I know that's not going to happen. Somebody's going to bring up. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can refer to you. I got yeah, some ideas. Yeah. I got some ideas. Yeah, but it'll be interesting when the American one happens. I would like to do a, will you be able to watch it anyhow? Um, I'll find it. Let's find out. I'm sure you'll be able to find a way to watch it. Yeah. We'll find a way for you to pirate it if you have to. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we have, we have to compare the differences between the American and one. I'm absolutely a thousand percent ready to be doing that all right cool all right so thanks again for joining us and have a good night everyone